Welcome to Rams Up, your weekly L.A. Rams podcast, bi-weekly during the season. We are a proud member of the Pigskin Podcast Network. We'll cover other SoCal sports items of interest, but we're mostly about your Los Angeles Rams. I'm your host, Mark. Let's get to it. Welcome, Ram fans, to episode 44. We've got our Ram-Lion game recap for you. The Rams, not in their best form, especially their special teams, staggered to a 28-19 win over one of the worst teams in the league. If it sounds like I'm not excited about this win, that would be correct. You know, I do that little whose fans are pumped, whose fans are pissed, and whose fans are perplexed. Well, right now, I'm a Ram fan that's a little perplexed after this effort. It was a little disheartening. I never take a team for granted. I never expect the Rams just to roll over any opponent, any NFL team. But this game was much closer than it should have been. We'll have a complete recap of that for you in a moment. We'll also do our loop around the league, and we'll have some final thoughts on the Dodgers who had their season end it on Saturday. First, that Ram game, the Lions, thanks to a 63-yard catch and run and a couple of trick plays by their special teams, managed to get off to a 10-0 lead in this game. And from there, it was a dogfight with both teams coming up with big plays on both sides of the ball. The Rams actually managed to lead 17-16 at halftime. It didn't feel like they even deserved that. But they fell behind 19-17, and then they added a touchdown, two-point conversion, and a late field goal. And that, along with a Jalen Ramsey interception of Jared Goff in the end zone, allowed them to escape with the win. But it wasn't pretty. It was actually a disappointing win, as far as I'm concerned. Disappointing in a number of ways. But a win is a win. And the Rams move to 6-1, stay one game behind the Arizona Cardinals and keep pace with the Bucks and Packers, two other NFC teams that improved to 6-1 as well. Let's capture the flow of the game right now, and then after that we'll go through our game notes, big plays of the game, hand out some game balls, and review the announcers, the refs, and coaching, all that good stuff. Possession by possession, this is how it went. Detroit on their opening possession... Goff hits DeAndre Swift on a screenplay. Rams brought the house. Swift takes off for a 63-yard touchdown. Detroit's up 7-0. And then the first sign that this game could even go more sideways for the Rams, Detroit pulls off a successful onside kick. And on that same possession, a fake punt is successful. And that leads to a field goal, and the Lions are up 10-0. The Rams answered sort of. Stafford hit his first six passes, but they settled for a 33-yard field goal to make it 10-3. Detroit answers with a field goal. Big play on that drive was a 21-yard pass. Goff to Hawkinson. Detroit's up 13-3. The Rams, starting at their own 16, are helped along by a couple of penalties, both resulting in first downs. One of them was a very questionable pass interference that went in the Rams' favor. I didn't see it the same way as the refs, but we'll take it. And that drive ends with an 11-yard pass from Stafford to Van Jefferson. Rams close to 13-10. to Detroit, their next possession, a three and out. They get hurt by a couple penalties. 
Rams take over at their own 26. Two big passes, one to Cup for 29 yards, another to Woods for 22. And Cup scores in a two-yard TD pass, and the Rams have their first lead of the day, 17-13. to But they give up a late drive. Goff makes some nice passes, drives Detroit down for a late field goal. And at halftime, it's Rams 17, the Lions 16. Rams get the ball opening the second half, and after a sack of Matthew Stafford, they punt. Detroit has the ball, and Goff gets sacked, but they pull off another fake punt and keep possession. So now there's three plays on special teams that the Lions have made the Rams look pretty foolish, in my opinion. But the Rams stuff a fourth and one and take over. They drive into Detroit territory, and they get stuffed on a fourth and less than a yard After stuffing the Rams, Detroit takes over and, after a big 37-yard pass play, gets them into Rams territory, and they have to settle for a field goal yet again. But they do take the lead 19-17. And the Rams, on the ensuing kickoff, have to start at their own nine, following another penalty on a kick return, something that has been an epidemic with the Rams for several years now, it seems, but they drive 91 yards. The big play, the Rams' biggest play of the year, actually a 59-yard pass play, Stafford to Cup, and moments later, Cup scores the TD, and Robert Woods converts a two-point conversion, and the Rams are up 25-19, but the win is not secured. Jared Goff and the Lions put together a 15-play, nine-minute drive, get deep into Rams' territory, Within striking distance, and Goff gets slammed by Aaron Donald as he's trying to throw a touchdown pass to TJ Hawkinson. It wobbles through the air, and Jalen Ramsey grabs it, secures the interception for the Rams, and the Rams were able to add a late field goal to pad their lead 28-19. Lions got one more shot, but this game was basically over by then. Nick Scott got a late interception, and that pretty much ended it. That's our game capture for you. We'll be back in a minute and we'll go over those big plays of the game, review what I thought were the keys to the game. We'll we'll talk about player props, game balls. Be back in a minute with that. So let's talk a little bit more about this game. The Rams 28-19 win over the Lions. My prediction, by the way, was 27-10. So pretty darn close. The Lions just managed three more field goals than I expected them to. Let's review what I called out as my fearsome four keys to the game. And as you may recall, I only identified three. And I think I'm aware of a fourth now that I should have called out. And the fourth one I should have called out was, this was the Lions' Super Bowl. This was an opportunity for them to come in and win a big game for their quarterback, a chance for a winless team to knock off one of the NFC front runners. They came in stoked, and they were not going to leave any tricks in the bag. They were going to do everything they could to find a way to win this game. We should have seen this special teams trickery coming. We really should have. So I should have called that out. Watch out for the trickery. Don't let the Lions pull off any surprises and steal some possessions. So bad on me. Should have saw that coming. The three keys I did call out. For some key number one, 
don't go more than minus two in the takeaway battle. And you know what? It was pretty close. If you count the onside kick and the two fake punts as three takeaways, technically I know they're not, but we all know that those are stolen possessions. So we were minus three and we were in trouble. And then we got that later interception by Ramsey to more or less seal the win. The Knicks got interception was fairly meaningless. So technically we were plus two in the takeaway battle. But if you count the onside kick and the two punt returns, we were minus one. Number two, don't let the running backs Williams and Swift move the chains. And you know what? We failed at that. Still managed to win, but we failed at that. We really did. 137 yards rushing the Lions had. And late in the game especially, Williams was just picking up chunks of yardage and running the clock on us. 15 plays, 9 minutes off the clock, and Williams was doing a lot of the damage. And DeAndre Swift, he was hurting us as well. So we failed on that. So far, 1 out of 2. And fearsome key number three, take away TJ Hawkinson. He's Jared Goff's safety blanket, and I think we succeeded. He had six catches for 48 yards. He had a couple big catches. Jalen Ramsey was clearly assigned to him on many occasions. And Hawkinson was making catches, but he wasn't getting much after the catch. So we succeeded at that, in my opinion. So we succeeded at two out of three of my fearsome four keys to the game although I only named three. Two out of three, and we won the game. I wish I had called out, watch out for trickery, watch out for exactly what we saw in that game. Going forward on fourth and one, fake punts, onside kicks, and the like. What were my four big plays? Well, you know what? I'm not going to name the onside kick or either of the fake punts. And you know why? Because While they took possessions away from the Rams, they took offensive plays away from the Rams, they resulted in three points. At the time, I thought they were big, but by the end of the game, they really weren't. Demoralizing, but they didn't really have that much of an impact on the final result. What did have an impact was that 63-yard catch and run Jared Goff to DeAndre Swift. Their first possession, up 7-0. That one goes in favor of Detroit. The next big play went in favor of the Rams, and that was that bailout on the pass interference. Van Jefferson and the cornerback hand fighting. I think that's a no call. That was a big play for the Rams. Big play number three was that 59-yard pass. Stafford to Cup on third and 12. I was feeling very pessimistic about the result of this game. I felt much better after that play. And finally, big play number four, the Ramsey interception, which denied the Lions a potentially winning touchdown. If I had to name a fifth big play, it was Detroit stopping the Rams on fourth and a half a yard. Detroit did the same to the Rams, but I think that Detroit stop was bigger. They actually stole another possession there. That was big play number five. But I think that those first four were much more significant. The 63-yard catch and run. The bailout on the pass interference, Cooper Cup's 59-yard pass reception, and Ramsey's interception. Some team stats of interest, Stafford finished with 334 yards and three TDs. It's a tough day for our running game, though. Daryl Henderson, only 45 yards on 15 attempts. 
had a couple of runs, but other than that, it was a long day for our running backs, mostly Henderson. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Tyler Higby, and Van Jefferson had 156, 70, 46, and 43 yards, respectively. Stafford really spread the ball around. Kenny Young and Sebastian Joseph Day had sacks for the Rams. On the Lions side, Goff actually had a decent day, 22 for 36 for 268 yards. And on that final interception, I know a lot of you are going to say this is the Jared Goff we have come to know. I really can't put that all on him, though. He was not protected on that play. He's got to take a shot at the end zone. You're not going to take a sack there. But he does have a history of not coming through in those situations. And once again, he did not. The Lions, as I mentioned earlier, 137 yards rushing. Not a good day for our run D. The Lions actually had more yards than the Rams offensively overall, 415 to 374. Some other notes worth mentioning. Kendall Blanton was active for this game. And Ben Skowernick and Buddy Howe are back there on kickoff returns. Skowernick actually handling all of them. Robert Rochelle was hurt during this game. I had no idea until after the game. McVeigh seemed optimistic that it was not serious. Something else worth noting, we're going to be talking about Cooper Cup a lot. Cooper Cup, TDs in the Super Bowl era at Week 7. He has nine, one behind Randy Moss and Calvin Johnson. I think you've all heard of them. Player props. Who deserves kudos? I'm going to name two guys. One is Jalen Ramsey. Big interception, but he was all over the field. That guy plays like a fanatic. Had some great tackles. Shut down Hawkinson on several plays. He got to Goff at least once that I saw. He's just a maniac. I'm so happy he's on our team. And Cooper Cup. How can you ignore this guy at this point? 56 receptions, 809 yards, and 9 TDs. That guy is the real deal. Might be the best all-around receiver in the league right now. Who had bad days? Well, do I really need to tell you? Our special teams gave up an onside kick. Two fake punts. On one return, we had a holding penalty. And a couple of other returns were getting out to the 18-yard line. And actually, I got to call out our special teams for the last decade, especially our kickoff return team. I swear, the last five years especially, how many times have we had holding calls on returns? How often do we have a return that gets out to the 28, 29, 32-yard line? And when we do, there's almost always a holding call. And when you flip it, how are are our opponents doing on kick returns. They seem like they're typically getting up to the 28, 29, 30-yard line. Rarely see a holding call on them. And I'm going to venture to guess that over the last 10 years, it seems like we average maybe one every other game. It just seems like it's over and over and over again. Even back in the fossil days. And, you know, this team during the McVeigh era, we kick off a lot. Very rarely see holding calls on the other team's return. However, on our returns, if you see our guy busting it out past the 30, it's coming back. I I just guarantee you, ask Tavon Austin, it's coming back. I'd love for someone to run some numbers on that, find out how many times we have had these holding calls on returns. I'm betting 
that it's like a three to one ratio holding calls on the Rams on returns versus the opponent. It's probably worse than that. I also have to say, I've been a big fan of Troy Reader up to now. I think he had a bad game. That onside kick went right through his arms. It looked like he tried to make a cool little roll catch and slide with the ball and missed entirely. He also had some missed tackles. I almost felt like the Lions were attacking him at times. Hey, Troy's played pretty darn well up till now. Had some standout games. Everybody has an off game once in a while. Hopefully this is Troy's last. So what does it all mean? The Rams have the Texans next week. The Cards travel to Green Bay. So the Rams could very realistically pull even with the Cards. A Cards loss would do wonders for the Rams' chances of winning this division. But we're going to have to find a way to beat the Cardinals in Arizona. If the Cardinals beat us again, we're going to be a wildcard team. So regardless of what happens next week in Green Bay and down the road, Rams have to win that game in Arizona. Elsewhere, the Bucks and Packers looking good, even with the Rams at 6-1. and one. And the Cowboys, they had a bye, but they're atop the East. And the Vikings and Saints looking like wildcard threats now. A few weeks ago, I would have said maybe the Panthers and Seattle. But now I'm thinking the Vikings and Saints. But there's a long way to go. Coach's corner, real quickly. Hey, McVeigh, special teams. Gotta crack the whip. Something's not something's not quite right on our special teams. It's been that way for a couple years now. I know we made a change. We have a new coordinator. I have not seen a significant improvement. Real quick refing review. I thought that pass interference was garbage. Bailed out the Rams. I mentioned that already. They also clearly screwed up blowing that play dead on the neutral zone infraction. Stafford was pissed, and so was I. That personal foul on Terrell Lewis was highly questionable, kind of borderline. He kind of did that throw action at the end, and that's what drew the flag, I think. And on that holding call, where they originally called holding on a Lions offensive lineman against Leonard Floyd, and then Jared Goff and the refs had a little chat, and they picked it up. Now, I don't really have a problem with that not being a penalty, but I don't know if I've ever seen them pick a flag up like that. I didn't quite get that. It wasn't that obvious that it was not holding. It was just odd. The announcers, Kevin Kugler and Mark Sanchez, comment on them real quickly. Kugler is solid, nothing special. Sanchez is fine, but he gets annoying, maybe a little too much babbling at times, and maybe a little too much Stafford worshipping early on in that game. But overall, it's understandable why they're not frontline announcers, but they were okay. Next up, we will have our loop around the league, and we'll follow that up with our sayonara to the L.A. Dodgers, at least for a few months. NFL fans, hungry for a big win this week? DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, has you covered. New customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game, and if they do, you win $200 in free bets. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, 
DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TPPN. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and win $200 in free bets. If they win, you win with promo code TPPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problems? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Let's do our loop around the league, week seven. Six teams out of action. On Thursday night, the Browns took care of the Broncos, 17-14. Case Keenum, remember him, first start in two years. Third string running back to Ernest Johnson, rushes for 146 yards. Browns got a, a win, a close one against a good defensive team. Titans, 27, the Chiefs, 3. And I called that one. I wasn't real confident about it, but I did like the Titans in this one. Chiefs dropped a 3-4. and four. Might be in a little bit of trouble because they have a tough schedule. They have the Cowboys, Packers, Chargers, Raiders twice. And the guy that really stood out in the game to me was A.J. Brown, the wide receiver for the Titans. That guy is really impressive. I haven't seen him a lot. He looks like a power running back playing wide receiver. And he had a big day. The Bengals 41, the Ravens 17. Didn't see this coming. Maybe it's time we start taking them seriously. Jamar Chase, over 200 yards receiving. Suddenly, maybe the Bengals are the class of this division. And and also, you know, Zach Taylor, the coach there, he's part of the Sean McVay coaching tree. And he may be onto something there. The Falcons, 30. The Dolphins, 28. Falcons looked like they were going to follow their usual formula, get a big lead and then lose it. But it was them that bounced back after yielding the big lead. They get the last second field goal to win 30-28. to The Giants 25, the Panthers 3, kind of an ugly game. Although, if you watched, you would have seen Daniel Jones, the Giant quarterback, make an incredible catch on a trick play. Sam Darnold, 111 yards passing. Panthers, things were looking good for them early in the season. Without Christian McCafferty, they may be in trouble as well. Packers 24, the Washington football team 10, kind of expected that. And the Patriots all over the Jets, 54 to 14, total domination. So it would appear Jets quarterback Zach Wilson knocked out of that game early. Other games while the Rams were playing, Bucks 38, Bears 3. This is a mismatch of quarterbacks if you've ever seen one. Justin Fields responsible for four turnovers while Tom Brady is throwing for his 600th touchdown. The Raiders 33, the Eagles 22. Eagles scored the first touchdown in that game and the Raiders answered with 30 straight points. Kind of have to start questioning where this Eagle team is headed right now. It appears to be 
primarily due south. Cardinals 31, Texans 5. Thought it might be a trap game for the Cardinals. They have the Packers Thursday night in Green Bay. And early on in this game, it looked like that might be the case. They fell behind 5 to nothing, And then the Cardinals woke up and steamrolled the Texans. And the Sunday night game, the Colts 30, the Colts 30, the Niners 18. Carson Wentz shines in the rain. The Niners start at 2-0. Now they're 2-4. The Colts started 0-3. Now they're 3-4. Kyle Shanahan, 31-39 as a Niners head coach. You have to start to wonder, when is he officially on the hot seat? Probably not any time this year, but, you know, they've just had that one big season. Other than that, they seem to get derailed one way or another. And they've sacrificed all those picks for Trey Lance, who does not look very promising at this moment. I thought the Niners were going to threaten for a playoff spot, if not the NFC West divisional title. I thought they were going to get healthy and show us something this year, but it is not happening. So this division, still considered one of the strongest in the league, but... It's really about the Cardinals and the Rams right now. Niners and the Seahawks might become an afterthought here real fast if they don't get things turned around. Seahawks have that Monday night game at home hosting the Saints. Next up, our final word on the Los Angeles Dodgers for this season anyways. And then we'll wrap things up with some final thoughts on Week 7 and the State of the Rams. We need to talk about the Dodgers a little bit. This might be the last time we do so in a while. And sadly, their season ended against the Atlanta Braves. I was holding out hope they could pull off the miracle, trying to be optimistic, and any reasonable person probably saw the writing on the wall. This was not going to end well. They are just too battered. When you consider Trevor Bauer has been gone, Clayton Kershaw unavailable. Joe Kelly goes down during the series. They're already out. Max Muncy and then Justin Turner gets hurt. And I think the one guy we forgot about, Dustin May, this team could have really used a young horse like him in this series. That's what they're missing. But I think you can call out three moments where this series got away from the Dodgers. Number one was using Urias in relief in game two. They had a 4-2 lead. They needed six outs. And they bring in Urias out of the bullpen, a guy that started all year long and has been fantastic. They're carrying, I think it was 13 pitchers on this NLCS roster, but they go to the starter and he loses the lead. And how much did that impact his following start where he obviously wasn't himself either? And the second and third moments both came in game six. Now, You have runners on second and third with two outs, and Rosario is at bat. He's been tearing it up, and that's not an exaggeration. This guy is having a playoff season for the record books. Now, you have Bueller on the mound, a right-hander, who you know is not going to last more than another inning at most. So they have Bueller go after 
Rosario, and he hits the home run, puts the Braves up four to one. Now, on deck is Freddie Freeman. A lot of people saying, well, Freddie's a better hitter. Freddie has the much better resume. But I don't care right now. I'd much rather face Freddie Freeman with the bases loaded. What I would have done is intentionally walked Rosario, bring in the left-hander, bring in any left-hander to face Freddie Freeman with the bases loaded. That's what I would have done. But this is what makes baseball great, these decisions that managers have to make. And fans get to second-guess him forever. And the third moment in the series, also in Game 6, the Dodgers have runners on second and third with no outs, and they can't bring anyone home. They can't even get the bat on the ball. Pujols, Souza, and Betts all strike out. No one makes contact. And that was that. The Dodgers will look a lot different next year, I have a feeling. They get some free agents. I doubt we'll ever see Trevor Bauer in a Dodger uniform, let alone a Major League uniform again. That could change. I don't have all the facts. Maybe he'll return somewhere, somehow. Clayton Kershaw and Max Scherzer could both be gone. Kenley Jansen, Corey Seager, Chris Taylor, Albert Pujols. Joe Kelly has a club option. So I'm not sure who comes back and who doesn't. I I mean, I love Corey Seager. I hope they bring him back. But then you get that middle infield dilemma. Gavin Lux, Trey Turner, Corey Seager. Good problem to have, but you have Justin Turner, 37 years old at third base. Still a solid lineup, though. Mookie Betts, Trey Turner, Max Muncy, Will Smith. That's a pretty good lineup. Pitching rotation will be Urias, Bueller, and May. Now, this is all assuming none of these free agents return, of course. I'm happy with that. Just need to fill the holes on this roster. The Dodgers will be back, but wouldn't it have been fun to see the Dodgers and Astros square up again? Maybe we dodged a bullet because if I want to go after these Astros and punish them for this cheating that they did against the Dodgers, I'd feel much better if we had all of our guys Justin Turner and Max Muncy probably wouldn't be able to play in that series. Joe Kelly, who the Astros have a special place in their heart for, he might have been unavailable. So if you want to look at the bright side, we don't have to go up against the Astros seeking our revenge. Extremely shorthanded. Last word on the Rams before we wrap this episode up. Overall, this game was a bit of a disappointment for me. I still have concerns about our rush defense. I was really perplexed about our special team's failures. I just wanted us to go out there and win handily, dominate an inferior opponent. Maybe that'll happen next week against the Texans. But I don't want to be a total negative Nancy here. There's a lot to be happy about. Gotta love what we're doing in the passing game. Stafford looks more and more comfortable using all his weapons, getting great protection. Our offensive line might not be getting it done in the run game week in and week out, but they've been doing a great job protecting Stafford. 
And it was great to see Matt Gay hit a meaningful 48-yard field goal at the end there. So there's a lot to be happy about. Rams get to 6-1, and one, right on the heels of the Arizona Cardinals. Happy to see the Niners stumble again and fall to 2-4. and four. Hopefully the same will happen to Seattle. But Rams are in good shape. Just not the stellar performance I was hoping for against the Lions. Still, it's not like there's nothing to be happy about. We're in a good spot, 6-1. and one. one of the front runners in the NFC. We'll get the 7-1 and one next week. And then the Tennessee Titans come to town. And that should be a lot of fun. That's going to do it for this episode. Remember, you can reach us at ramsuppodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website at laramsup.com. And don't forget to subscribe and give us that five-star rating. It's greatly appreciated. And remember, keep the horns up, stay safe, and have fun out there. Music courtesy of bensound.com and the YouTube royalty-free music audio library, Crimson Fly by Hama Hama.